I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Nick Mullins and uh, welcome along to this week's Rugby Tonight podcast. We are in southwest London this week at uh, Richmond Rugby Club. To be precise, the old athletic ground and Lord Lorenzo of London is with us. How are you doing, Lord? I'm very well, thank you, Nick. This place brings back some memories for you, I imagine. You you were getting yourself muddy out on that pitch behind us? Yes, I was. Um, I mean, I sort of grew up in West London, so Richmond has never been too far away. I played here as a, a young boy, and I mean a really young boy, age sort of eight, um, mini rugby, as it was in those days, and uh, and things went on from there. I couldn't stay at Richmond. I, I went off to uh, North Yorkshire because uh, my parents didn't like me that much and decided that... Uh, <laughs> you got banished. The, uh, banished the, bright, to the, the bright lights of London were, uh, <laughs> were turning me in the wrong direction. So, um, yes, I, I was sent up to North Yorkshire to learn what real weather um, was like. But, no, I've got very fond memories of Richmond. I, I uh, still keep a very close eye on them in the championship, as they now are. They obviously reached the heady heights of the premiership at one time. I was... Uh, tapped up, if you could say that, to uh, to come and play here at Richmond. And, I was going to uh, talk to you about yeah. about that because was it Ashley Lavette back in the yeah. days when, and lots of people will remember those days in the mid nineties, early days of mm. professionalism, and they uh, they very nearly won the uh, the Premier the they Premier did. League, didn't they? Yeah. With Brian Moore, Ben Clark, the Quinells, Alan Bateman, yeah. P. Shot, Barry Williams, the Lions hooker, they the the, the the great and the good. Came, came here following Ashley Levesque. They did. I mean, it was the Richmond Revolution, if you like, and led by uh, the wonderful Ben Clark. Um, and as you say, some big, big names, you know, P. Shot and Brian Moore and the, the Quinnell brothers. But I kind of looked at Richmond and thought, perhaps with the Quinnell brothers and Ben Clark, they had enough good quality back row forwards already. And they, they didn't offer you enough money. Come on. <laughs> oh, Come they on. Did. oh, they did. They offered but, you a lot. Uh, I felt that, uh, well, one, that Wasps were on the rise, and secondly, that... Um, uh, you know, if I was at the end of my career, like Ben Clark, then I would have uh, I would have taken that opportunity with open arms. But uh, I, I was very much uh, feeling that if you wanted to play for England in those days, you normally had to be playing at one or two or three clubs and uh, Bath, Leicester or Wasps, really. Um, nowadays, it's much more democratic. You can be playing for anyone and inside England and still get picked. But I think in those days, you were very clear about the quality of rugby you needed. Don't get many one-club men these days. I guess the advent of cash means that, that mm. people travel around and pay off mortgages. But when were you closest to leaving Wasps? Uh, I think inevitably, um, there's normally a lot of reasons why you st- you're, you're at one club. One is financial. Um, two is around family. Um, it was never always a decision for myself. It was always a decision for a, a few other people as well, because I had young children at a very young age uh, while I was you know, 23, 24. So, you know, <laughs> What I used to say to players who were thinking about leaving the club is that you, what you have to remember is that rugby is only 80 minutes every weekend. The rest of the time you have to live there. Um, now, if you're comfortable living at that rugby club, then that's up to you. You know, but a lot of people move for one reason, which is financial, or it might be, you know, to further their chances. And I think you've got to look at it uh, in the in the full spectrum. You know, it's about where you want to live, where do your family want to live. It might be about schools. It might be about the quality of rugby. It might be about your teammates. Um, so you never thought of leaving? You were never close I did. to Yeah, no, I did think once about leaving. To and who? It really was probably down to the West Country because uh, okay. my wife was, um, was quite keen on She said to me, um, don't even think about Newcastle. I said, OK. Not Leicester. That, not that Leicester's a nice place. Leicester, um, yeah. Social immobility were the two words she said to me. <laughs> 
said, thank you. OK. <laughs> These were her words, not mine, yeah. of course. Um, so I think the West Country was probably... Um, Bath's a nice place at any time. And, and also, I mean, my wife's from Devon. Bath yeah. were, you know, a famous club at that time. Um, unfortunately, Bath did make me an offer, but they, they, they sort of offered me less than I was being paid, which is not really... I mean, not even, in my, even in, in my sort of basic econ economics, no. <laughs> it's not really how it works, is it really? So, sorry, I'm going to come join your club and you want me to earn less than I'm earning now. Mm. We'll get on to... Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Joe Launchbury a little <coughs> bit later because he, a bit like you, has decided to, to stick with the club that he mm. grew up with. He signed a new contract with Wasps this week. We won't, we won't talk about that now but but being here does bring back memories of of the old days and there was a lovely piece in the guardian this week by rob kitson uh, one or two of you may have seen it about how richmond having gone all the way down the english ladder and making their way back up and they're back in the championship now lol as you say and they're doing really well i think they've won half a dozen games beating big sides but they're amateur they're, they're, they're training on tuesdays and wednesdays and they're doing it for a bit of fun just, just like the old days. Yeah, I mean, they're currently sixth out of 13 clubs in the championship. And uh, other than Bristol, whose obviously total wage bill is, is probably significant and somewhere closer to where most of the premiership clubs are, a lot of the championship clubs, like Richmond, are either semi-professional or totally amateur. So, And when we, what we mean by amateur is that they train on a Tuesday and a Thursday night only, and they play on Saturday. And it's great to see that, you know, them existing and, and going toe-to-toe -to -toe with sides that probably are, are, are spending more time training. And, and that sort of throws up the question around, you know, the boredom of certain rugby players and, you know, the life of a professional rugby player is not necessarily as glamorous as one might imagine. And actually, talking to the coaches here, um, what, what's really impressed them is that the, because they only train twice a week, you know, they can't wait to get here and they're really excited about training. Um, you know, and they absolutely love it. So they, they're sort of sponges for information. And they're very fortunate because of the location to, to have some wonderful sort of expertise that drops in. George Robson is currently running the line-out sessions. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Adam Jones, uh, the great Welsh and Harlequins prop, is, uh, is currently running scrummaging. So yep. they are, for all intents and purposes, they might only train twice a week, but it, I think they would say it's quality rather than quantity. I did a little bit here, and I found it quite interesting because... You know, some days you'd have a full squad and then other days, you know, someone had a wedding or a stag trip that, that weekend. And so, sorry, I can't, from a hangover. I, I can't play on Saturday no. because I'm not here. So, no. uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of frustrations as an amateur that you have to get used to, you know, when you're coaching those sorts of players. But on the flip side of that, you know, it's brilliant to see them doing so well. And I think they found their level because a lot of people widely expect them to get, you know, relegated straight back down to the league they came from. Good firework displays here as well. Last time I was here, wasn't commentating, it was a firework display. They do a good firework display. Um, it's great to see Richmond back, and, uh, and it's lovely to be back here in the boardroom. And Lowell, not surprisingly, has taken the, uh, the chief executive spot. I am the secretary <laughs> tonight. Uh, so much to look forward to over the next half an hour or so. It's the return of Europe um, this weekend, fortnight, the doubleheader where um, people play each other home and away. Munster, Leicester. One of our big games. We've got some real crackers this weekend. We'll look ahead to those um, over the next few minutes. We'll hear from um, Peter Omani, by the way. He's had a lot to say for himself this week. Some chat about his future, where he might be playing, whether he's going to be staying in Limerick over the next few seasons. Uh, we will hear from him. We'll um, go through all the fixtures and whet your appetite for the Champions Cup, Challenge Cup to, uh, to come. But let's start with what we saw domestically, Lowell, this weekend um, in the Aviva Premiership, you and I were travelling around together. We um, went to Sandy Park on the Saturday, got the train back to Paddington uh, at the Stoop on the Sunday. Uh, and it wasn't just our games. It seemed that maybe not so much Northampton-Newcastle on the Friday night, which was a slow burner. But there's so much good stuff going on in the Premiership at the moment. It's, it, it's a good watch, isn't it? Good, oh, good it's, entertainment. It's absolutely fantastic. And I'm not sure whether it's because we're kind of in, nearly at the halfway point or whether it's because we've... You know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, doesn't it, really? We've had three weeks of, of, uh, of international rugby, which is great, and we all love international rugby. But it's, it's not the premiership, it's different. And I think suddenly to be back, um, you know, in the Aviva premiership, to have all those international players back and, uh, and to, uh, you know, it almost feels like the intensity suddenly lifted. Um, and as you, as you approach Christmas, there's something very special about the Premiership. You know, I mean, I've been playing and, and watching Aviva Premiership rugby for 
as long as I care to remember. But it, I still get as excited about games and venues and stadiums. And when you look at the team sheets and you think, this is going to be an absolute cracker today. And this weekend, particularly, you know, we were not disappointed with some of those games going down to the absolute last play of the game. Three of, three of the six games weren't decided until the last play of the match. The um, Stoop, yep. um, Gardens on the Friday night, and the Rico Wasps mm. against Leicester. And we had that late flourish from Bath as well. Um, didn't change the outcome of the match, but Bath picking up a losing bonus point later on at Sandy Park. And I think what we're seeing this season in the Aviva Premiership is a, is a concertina. Yes, Exeter are champions. Yes, Saracens are European champions. And, you know, and everyone's already, you know, at the beginning of the season, making their predictions about the top four based on what they saw last season. But you've got to say that, you know, the... I think the, the the points differential between say third and, and or even second and and the kind of team in tenth is is one win or two wins. Mm. So I think we're seeing a, a much closer. Um, what do you, you put know, that down to? Competition. I think the improvement of of clubs of certain sides. You the know, salary cap. The, the salary is cap is starting to, to even out, starting to bite those clubs at the top who who um, you know cannot retain all their most successful players uh, year on year. Um, I think each. And every side has one or two players in their squad that is capable of winning games on their own. And I think we've, we saw that at the weekend. Uh, you know, the return of Cipriani for Wasps, the, the piece of skill from Danny Kerr. You know, on any given Saturday or Sunday, if, you, if you're not quite at your very best, whether you're Saracens or whoever it is, you, you will get beaten. And, uh, and that's what makes it very exciting, I guess. Do you know the other thing that struck me, uh, and, and it was kind of amplified by Gloucester's decision this week not to put down an artificial pitch at King's Home next season, but to, to go for one of those hybrids that have proved so successful up the road at Twickenham. I think they're using the company that did the one at Croke Park, Ellis Park. The thing that struck me is that if we'd have been watching you here at the Athletic Ground in Richmond 20 years ago, you'd have been disappearing beneath six feet of mud at around <laughs> this time of year. But the yeah. pitches, even in December, look as good as they did at the start of the season. Yeah, and, and I talked to a lot of the Premiership players up and down the country on our travels and that's the one thing that really comes up, that that stands out is I said what's the big difference now and they said well just the quality not just of the training pitches uh, in in and around the facilities of the club but also the playing surfaces around the country as you said uh, Gloucester at Kingstone particularly probably being one of the worst that I used to play on particularly when we had a heavy you know rainfall in the winter they used to train on that pitch as well so you can imagine it made it even worse they almost used to thrive on the fact that it was a bit of a paddy field Leicester you know, Welford Road was uh, was not you know was renowned for having wonderful stands, but the actual important bit in the middle was was awful. But now you know both clubs have invested, all the clubs have invested wonderfully, and you know they're almost like bowling greens now. And uh, I mean, we, we have to remember that the weather is 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 uh, is variable in the UK. Um, sometimes we'd like to uh, we'd like to play three and four games a day on the same pitch. I remember going to Australia when I was a young kid. You know, they'd start with the with the under sixteen fixture, then the under eighteen, mm. uh, and the whole thing would build up women's rugby, and the whole thing would leverage up to the to the first team game at the end. Um, you know, of course, in Australia that's easy. It would be wonderful if we could do that, and that's probably why the argument for um, a 4G pitch is there because it means the whole club can enjoy the facilities, and it works beautifully. For Saracens, you go along to Allianz Park on a game day and they've got the minis out there beforehand. Everyone's invited onto the pitch afterwards. The same at um, Kingston Park as well in Newcastle. They have rugby league games on the pitch around the games now. We absolutely get what 4G does. Mm. Um, but I thought that Gloucester's decision was interesting because I'd heard a couple of years ago that they were absolutely going to go for a plastic pitch. And I thought, this is going to be really interesting to have a 4G pitch at Kingston. That really is throwing out the crown jewels. But they spoke to the players, and the players have said, no, we'd, we'd, we'd rather have a hybrid. Yeah, and that's, that's reassuring and, and pleasing to see. I think a lot of the reasons for clubs wanting to go to 4G is non-rugby related. It's around the commercial yeah. uh, side of the business. How can they bring more revenue into the club? Well, they've got to use their asset, which is the pitch. And, uh, but also, uh, there's something very traditional about having grass, um, and the game is becoming quite sanitized in lots of different ways and i think keeping <laughs> keeping the pitch grass and, and traditional for me is you know is 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 an absolute must you know we, we we will always have one or two pitches that like saracens like six ways newcastle but i think a a third of the league is is, is more than enough we're going to go on we'll start we'll start by having a look back on um 
actually what was the final game of the weekend uh, up the road at the Stoop in a moment or two. But you, you touched on there the fact that clubs can now play a couple of games on a match day. Mm. And there was a, a wonderful to see after the Saracens trip to the Stoop on Sunday. The, the, the two clubs' women's teams played a game in the Tyrrell Premier 15s yep. and thousands and thousands stayed on. And it, it just struck me that if we're going to grow the women's game, you might not be able to do it every weekend, but these double headers work so well to, to put something on for those who are already in the ground. Absolutely. And uh, look, the quality of the rugby on display was also there. I mean, the women's game has, has come on no end in the last five, ten years to the point where they've actually you know, become world champions and didn't quite make it again this time around. But, uh, you know, as I said, the, uh, the, the way the women's game has grown, they've earned the right to, to, you know, to, to play out on those pitches. And why shouldn't they? I mean, the advent of this you know, new Tyrrells League is, is brilliant. Um, certainly all the, all the clubs are trying to embrace it with everything they have. And, uh, and you know, people will vote with their feet. And quite clearly, um, you know, all those... Fans who stayed behind, you know, got to see a wonderful game of rugby. They did. I mean, yeah. some some of the hits. Would you, yeah. I was watching it with a guy called Matthew Pierce, who you you might know as the uh, as yeah. the South African Absolutely. commentator in the rugby championship. And me and Matt were watching it from the press box, and he was going, "Oh my god!" I mean, uh, it, it it was it was as brutal as as the as the Quinns Saris game had had been before, and with people like Marley Packer flying around. Um, uh, around the breakdowns, it was it was just a. Well, I think for those of us who've, who've, I mean, I've been lucky enough to to be invited to help with some of the coaching for some of the women's rugby teams and and the women's players, particularly the England squad and the work ethic. Uh, you know, I've said this all along. You know, if 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 their counterparts in the men's team had the same level of work ethic as they did, you know, they, they'd have been world champions two or three times over. By yeah, now. and we have daughters. Lawrence, uh, teenage daughters, yeah. who, who, who look at... I mean, they, they go along to a game of rugby, and at the end of it, they're not heading home. They're looking at somebody like Marley Packer or Vicky Cornborough or Rachel Burford. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's so important for young girls to have those same role models, and, and, and why should they not be in rugby as well? So, uh, no, I'm, I'm all for it. I think the game is, is moving on. There was, a, there was a moment in time last year where the, where the RFU were, were sort of throwing money into the seven-a-side you know, game and, and but actually now it looks like they're firmly behind um, you know women's fifteen aside rugby. So watch this space. What about that game that we saw before the women's game? Saracens losing almost unbelievably a fifth in a row. Two mm. of those have been in the Anglo Welsh, but uh, five in a row now. What what what's what's happening with Saras right now? Well, I mean, I I, uh, I sort of discount the Anglo Welsh. I know I shouldn't because it's all part of the same statistics, but it is a very different squad. So. You know, if you take those to one side, they've lost three premiership matches in a row, which is very un unlike Saracens. In fact, it's, I think it's unprecedented for quite some time. Even more worrying for them is that they've won it. They've lost those games from a position where they were winning. So in all three of those games against, um, you know, Gloucester, against Exeter, and then most recently against Harlequins, they've been ahead at half time, and then they've gone on to lose the game. So, uh, and, and this one particularly will, will cause more alarm bells than anything because it, you know, myself included, I felt that the return of the likes of Farrell and Itoji and Jamie George and would just have a little bit too much in the locker to, to, to beat Saracens, uh, to beat, sorry, Harlequin. So, yeah, it is a concern and they are going through a bit of a spell at the moment where, um, you know, they're, I'm sure that they're looking you know, long and hard. And what's been interesting is that, you know, Harlequins came up with a game plan to try and take on Saracens and it, and it unsettled them a bit. Um, Exeter came up with a slightly different game plan about patience and holding on to the ball and going through the phases and that really unsettled um, Saracens. And, and it just shows, you know, particularly the, at the stoop, if you haven't got the ball, you can't win the game. <laughs> and Quinn's, you know, just spent so many minutes with the ball and putting Saracens under serious pressure. So, uh, you know, Mark McCall and his coaches have got, have got a bit of homework and a bit of thinking to do. Shouldn't forget Quinns. I mean, they they were they were magnificent. Mag they were magnificent. And actually, one of the highlights um, of, of our afternoon was was chatting with Alex Anderson mid match when he when he when he remember what he said. He said um, he said Harlequins Harlequins when they I won't bother with the accent Harlequins when they play us grow baubles. Well, they seem to grow a pair. I think were his <laughs> that's words. what he yeah. was saying. Yeah, he said, and uh, you know, none of us should have been surprised by the result, but we were because that's the third time at the stoop yeah, that, that Quinns have been in a row, yeah. and um, you know, clearly. Harlequins are the team that, that can rise to the big occasion. You know, they've, 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 they've gone away to Wasps and they've won. They got under Wasp skin and, and they really set out with the game plan, particularly when they lost Marcus Smith, you know, before the kickoff. Uh, James Lang stepped in. I thought that they're real experienced players who 
if I'm honest, have never always stepped up to the plate when they've come back from international duty. And I'm talking about the likes of Mike Brown, Chris Robshaw, who was outstanding. We talked a lot about Robshaw during mm. the game, didn't yeah. we? I mean, you, 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 let's, let's, let's t talk actually about, about Chris, because you'll have been in situations mm. during your England career when you'd been written off. Mm. And the Many experts times. in the media were saying you were no longer worth your place in the squad. Fans were saying that. What, what, what Rob Shaw has done to get himself back into the position that he's in now? Well, I think he's worked incredibly hard. Um, there's no doubt about that. And whatever any player tells you, as you get a little bit older, you have to work a bit harder um, to get the same results uh, or to get better results. Uh, I think he's used um, the um, kind of criticism, rightly or wrongly, he's used it to fuel his own motivation um, and set himself his own personal targets. Um, he seems to be a player who is, uh, you know, settled down with his, with, with, his, with his own personal situation. And I think that, you know, happy wife, happy life, that always generally helps as well. You, you take that kind of feeling out onto the rugby field and you're, you're much more content in your own skin. And, you know, not having the pressure, the added pressure of the captaincy, but yet playing almost like England's spiritual leader because, uh, you know, he's still very, very vocal out on the field. He's still got the respect of the team, the players. He, he hasn't got the armband, but... You know, I call him England's spiritual leader because, uh, you know, it's great to have a guy out there on the field who's been captain, um, but who's not currently captain because he doesn't lose that experience just because he's not got the armband. So not only are England benefiting from that, he's almost outside of Owen Farrell, the next name on England's team sheet. And Harlequins now are starting to benefit from that too. Yeah, I really enjoyed watching Ronaldo Bothmer as well. I know he was one of the players that John Kingston was really excited about at the start of the season. They've not had him because of injuries, but but he just brought a, a, a bit of grit and, yeah, and I think hard grade he, sandpaper to the background. He really did. And, and you know, Harlequins haven't, because they've got so many quality players that for England, they haven't really got the sort of stellar signings that some of these other clubs have. And, and maybe Bothmer is not one that's, that, that stood out to anyone, but he. You know, if he does half the job that Jacques Berger did for Saracens, he's going to be a real, really popular amongst the faithful. And what I was so impressed with Harlequins is that in order to beat Saracens, you've got to take them on up front and you've got to take on some very talented, very good quality players. And they almost developed a game plan that made sure that their forwards absolutely had to take that game to Saracens and, and they caused them no end of problems. We, we saw Mario Otoje go off. I think, if we're being frank, we didn't realise at the time it was quite such a serious injury because we just assumed it was a, a nasty blow to the mouth yeah. and there was some blood coming out. We assumed it was just going to be a blood burn injury, but actually he's fractured his jaw and he's gone, Mark McCall telling us this week, that he's gone for either three to four weeks, depending on how successful the operation is, or perhaps more likely two to three months, which clearly... Uh, has big implications for Saracens, big implications for England and the way Eddie Jones might have thought about setting up his team for the Six Nations. Yeah, it's a, it's a disappointment for him. And if we're honest, he's a player that's star has continued to rise and rise and rise. Um, he can still count on probably two hands now the number of games he's lost, but there's not, it's not many. He's, he, he's achieved so much in a short space of time. Um, other than a, a sort of a, a four or five week hand injury, He's not really had any setbacks. So it's going to be an interesting personal challenge for him. Um, as you say, it, it was friendly fire. He wasn't actually hit by... He was hit by his own teammate, uh, shoulder, in the mouth. And, and we probably should have known at the time that most rugby players, if they go off for blood, they tend to come back on again. So the fact he didn't actually come back on, he fractured his jaw in two places. So he's had two plates put in his mouth. You know, that to me... I never, you know, I never fractured my jaw, but I, can, I, I was close to people who did. You know, that to me sounds like it's an eight-week recovery time, you know, at best. Um, the Six Nations is nine weeks away, I think, or eight and a half weeks away from the Italy game. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a concern, not, not just for England, but for, um, you know, for, for Saracens. And I guess the, the irony is that here's a player who was removed from the fray to try and manage his game time because he's, he's worked very hard for the Lions and yeah. for, for England. And yeah. The minute he returns back to the fray, yeah. he picks up a, a, you know, an, an, a, an innocuous but very serious mouth injury. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's a personal time for him to, you know, and it's probably the first time that he will, you know, genuinely uh, have to sort of contemplate, you know, what things that he might do while he's, uh, while he's, while he's recovering. I guess the only consolation is that once the injury is, has settled down, he'll be able to sort of carry on the running and the, and the fitness-based training that, uh, uh, that he needs to, to keep going. Did you sense that Eddie was going to play him in the second row or the back row for the Six Nations? Um, 
I, I mean, personally, I, I still think he, the second row is, is, is his best position. Yeah. Um, I mean, Eddie is now sort of looking at getting his best players out on the field. And because of the quality of Law's performances this season, Courtney Law's and the, and the, the quality of Joe Launchbury and Itoji, he's, he's got, you know, and not forgetting even a player of George Cruz's quality, let alone the others, he, he wants to get as many of those guys out on the field. So he probably would have... Um, would have you know used him in the second row and the back row I think yeah. but I still I still think he's uh, he's he, his best position is in the is in the second row. We're unofficially going to call this bit of the podcast the injury bit because as much as we'll talk about wasps Leicester in a sec let's let's touch on Ellis Genge as well mm. because it, it uh, once again it seemed pretty innocuous when he went off just before half time at the Rico but he's he's done his shoulder he's had an operation this week and yep. and he's gone for at least a couple of months so that might be his six nations as well yeah it's very disappointing because he you know we've obviously got Mako Vanapola and Joe Marler as those two kind of established players but Ellis Genge was really coming through you know taken to Argentina played in the autumn uh, in that last game looking really strong has been going really well for Leicester Tigers and you know, it's just so unfortunate for him personally and for everyone involved, the club and, and England, because, uh, you know, shoulder injuries are nasty. And uh, the fact that he was um, removed from the European squad for Leicester Tigers suggests that, you know, this could be a long-term injury, two months, um, you know, possibly longer. So, um, you know, we wish him all the very best. And, and uh, you know, I guess it, it opens up another opportunity for, uh, for Eddie Jones to look at uh, other players. Yep. Um, brilliant win for Newcastle to start the weekend up at the gardens, Nili Latu's late try. Uh, what of Northampton? You're a Northampton player this week, and they're in a bit of a hole now. And we've talked a lot about the coaches. But as a player, what kind of responsibility are you taking? You, you, you were in this position not so long yeah, ago. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Hartley, the England captain and, and the Northampton captain this season, has come out and said, yes, we are in a hole. Um, it, it's a tough one. It's, they've been a, a, a funny old club because they, they, they came out... Um, you know, and had suffered that horrible opening seat, opening day defeat against Saracens. Then they steadied the ship. They're in the top four, and then suddenly they've 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 gone on a run where they've lost five in a row, and um, and they're, they're you know they're at the wrong end of the table for for Northampton. And um, you know they they still they do still lose a lot of players to international duty, not least the England captain and one or two others. I do feel though that the uh, the players that get left behind need to absorb a bit more of that responsibility and and run the club. Um, Two schools of thought here. You either change your players on, on a more regular basis than Northampton are doing, or you change your coaching staff. Um, the average tenure of uh, directors of rugby tends to be around about three or four or five years. Um, Jim Mallinder and co have been there a lot longer than that. I mean, you'll probably know exactly how long, but it's... it's well, they're, they're the longest serving now. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you're there as a, as a director of rugby, you're... you're continually trying to reinvent your message to the same group of players yeah. um, and that message kind of runs a bit thin so you've either got to change your players or you've got to change yourself and uh, from what I can see they haven't changed their players so the same message is landing on the same players you know uh, door and uh, that message is not getting through so um, you know I'm not suggesting Jim has to leave that but something has to change there and you either move your players on or <laughs> Or, or you move on, and it's getting to that point. If I was a Northampton Saints fan, where I was, I'd be, I'd be asking some some quite serious questions around which of those two is it going to be. I'm not doubting Jim Mallinder's ability to communicate that message, but if he's communicating it to the same people week in week out, and it's now now not starting to hit, then something has to be done. We were at um, Sandy Park on Saturday night watching watching the Chiefs amazing um, against Bath. Uh, and again, in hindsight, maybe we didn't wrap it up in the ribbons and bows that that first 60 minutes ought to have been wrapped up in. Because certainly on Twitter, Chiefs fans who see them week in, week out, year in, year out, were suggesting that that's the best 60 minutes they've seen from Chiefs for as long as they can remember. Yeah, I, I, I would 100% I would agree with that. Um, it, the edge was possibly taken off it by the fact that Bath, who were not in the game in any way, shape or form for that first 60 minutes, ended up scoring somehow four tries. Um, two things that stand out for me from Exeter, they are the champions of England. That is not a mantle that's always been worn very comfortably with, with, with sides. You know, the premiership is so tough. The team that, that have won the title one year have found it quite difficult to continually win it. In fact, I think it's been, it, it keeps changing hands every year. So that tells you how difficult it is. I remember my own experience of being champions you know, yes, we, we won the Premiership 
three years in a row, but it's really hard to go and do that same thing again and again. So the way Exeter have approached that, no hangover from last season. They started off, they, they've, they've got better, they've built on that. Um, and, that you know, and secondly, the quality of that squad, which was highlighted by the performance that we saw over that first 55 minutes, the fact that they're on 55 minutes, they're playing another side who are in the top four, and they're able to take off, arguably, Luke Cowan-Dickey, you know, who's a quality player. They were able to take off um, Thomas Waldron. Um, they were able to substitute all these players and bring on, you know, bring on England's number eight, Sam Simmons. You know, just the quality that they had in their squad tells me that this is a side that are not just going to be competing at the top of the English table, but actually now have got a squad that are going to go on and, and, and be comfortable challenging at the European top table. Yep, they are. They're the ones to chase at the moment. Crikey, they're um, they're they're some distance better than, than the bulk of the Premiership right now, that's for sure. Um, what, what about Wasps, Leicester? That was, it was just great entertainment. And when the clock stopped, Wasps were ahead. It was just one of those games, wasn't it? Really? It was. And, and I think, you know, going back to our Exeter conversation, conversely, Wasps have, have had a bit of a hangover at the beginning of this season. They got to the Premiership final. They played mightily well all season. Um, they were 80 seconds away from becoming champions of England. So... You could argue that that could have gone either way as well. But they've suffered a bit of a hangover. I think their players just thought that it was all going to happen again. And they've had to recalibrate themselves. And it's taken probably four or five weeks into the season. And they've suddenly woken up and thought, hey, well, chaps, we're at the wrong end of the table here. This, this, is, not, this is not good enough. And, you know, yes, they've had a number of injuries that they didn't have last season. And they've, they've had to manage their squad. Cipriani missing. Cipriani is, being really, key. Really disrupted the, 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 the balance of, of that back line. So much goes through him. In fact, everything goes through him. That, um, you know, his, his return to injury three or four weeks ahead of schedule is a testament to himself. But actually, it's not just his return. It's what he did when he came back. Um, the signs when he came on against London Irish were very positive. They won that game. Uh, he produced, you know, a moment of magic at the end of the game, which won Wasps the game, quite simply. So, uh, you know, delighted to see. And the good news for Wasps fans, you know, they've still got a long way to go um, to, to sort of reassure everyone that they're going to be contending again for the, uh, for the title. But the good news is that they're probably, in patches against the Tigers, played some of the best rugby that we've seen from them all season. Because even though Leicester scored three tries, Wasps, in defence, were magnificent as well. And, and I think they probably just about deserve to win because of their execution. We ought to mention Phil Blake, actually, because yeah. um, he, he, he left Leicester under a, a little bit of a, a, a minor cloud. Um, but has really started, it seems, to make an impact on the quality of... of, of Wasps bolts in that defence. Yeah, they're, I mean, I mean they're, they're, there's, they're the great entertainers, Wasps, aren't they? They, scored, they set the, the Premiership you know, try-scoring records last season. They were, they were just magnificent to watch, very, very easy on the eye, and they still are at their very best. Some of those tries they scored last week against the Tigers were magnificent. Um, but defence wins championships, as I can hear Sean Edwards talking <laughs> in, my, in my ear now. You know, you can't... If you don't lose a try, you don't lose a game. You know, that's yeah. generally the rule. So, um, and one would argue that the way Wasps were defending last season, they certainly weren't going to win anything. So, yeah. uh, you know, Phil Blake has stemmed the flow, um, and I'm sure that's something they're going to continue to build on going forward. Not seen much of Nizam Carr, but he looks all right, doesn't he? I like the name as well, Nizam Khan. I didn't know how to spell it. I had to get the club to tell me how to spell it. With it. But that's the kind of player he was. It, you know, yeah. it wasn't, they weren't bringing in yeah. a Skulk Burger. They weren't bringing in a bloke that we'd all heard of. Well, Di, uh, Di Young has sort of shown over the last few years what a, what a shrewd eye he has for signing players. Um, and he, this was kind of forced on him, really. He had to dip into the, uh, into the, into the market because of the injuries that, that they had right across the back row, of course, uh, Alex Reader going out with a dislocated elbow or shoulder and a number of other high-profile injuries. Um, and he's done an astute bit of business there because for whatever reason, um, you know, the South Africans are sort of settling very nicely in, uh, in Coventry, aren't they? You've got, obviously, Vili LaRue, you know, Ashley Johnson. Um, you know, Joanne de Jong. Joanne de Jong. And, you know, Nizam Khan now is there. And, and from what I've seen of him, and it's not been a huge amount, but uh, his performances in the last four games just suggest that... Uh, that Di might be opening up the conversation to keep him there that little bit longer. Saw this week that um, Gloucester have um, renewed contracts with um, Tim Taylor and Johnny Bell. 
attack coach and defence coach, respectively. And we've talked an awful lot about what um, Johan Ackerman has, has, has brought to, to Gloucester. They're, they're second this week. You look at the Aviva Premiership table today, they're second. How long can this go on for? What is, what is a realistic ambition as a finishing position this season? Well, they've been... They've been there's sort of uh, constant frustration, not, you know, for, for a lot of people, Gloucester, because it, the opening game of the season, they beat the champions, yeah. Exeter. Yeah, admittedly, with the last play of the game, or, or, you know, it was a dramatic finish, but uh, they beat the champions. And then you kind of thought, well, is this the year where Gloucester are going to, you know, stand up and be counted? And then they suddenly lose games that they, sh that they should really be winning. Um, what they've done now is they've gone on a run where they've won five games on the spin. Um, I mean, Gloucester were always a side that could win at home and never, never win away. I've been so impressed with the way that they've, uh, um, they've gone about their work. And, and it seems to be that they've looked back at turns of youth to really you know, add that injection of, yeah. of enthusiasm. <laughs> I've never sort of thought long and hard about going into coaching. Um, but if I did, um, I could tell you that if I didn't coach my, the club that I played for, was for 20 years, the one club that has always stuck out in my mind has been Gloucester because... It's a wonderful rugby club that they have 19,000 passionate fans who turn up every other week that spoon feed their team adrenaline. It would not be that difficult to get them rocking. And exactly what Ackerman's done, he's focused on the basics and he has them playing really, really well. And, you know, they're, they're, they're a giant of English rugby. They're a giant that, that, that deserves to be, that deserves a lot more than what they've, what they've delivered over the last few years. So... And, and they're shaking it up, you know, they're shaking it up, they're at the top of the top end of the table, um, and if they continue to play the way that they're playing, winning games at home and making King's home the fortress that it was when, you know, when I used to play there, difficult place to go and play, and they can pick up the odd win or a few points on the road, they'll be in the shake-up. I was talking to, uh, to Lewis Ludlow a couple of weeks ago about the quality of that defence, and he said... Uh, and, and Billy Burns as well, interestingly, as a, as a fly half who lets to roll up his sleeves as well. And I think they're all thinking, maybe for the first time, maybe not within the last couple of weeks, but it's certainly been something that Johnny Bell's brought in, that defending can be fun. A bit like it was um, with Saracens and Paul Gustard and is now with England, that actually uh, throwing the ball around and running them in from 50 metres puts a smile on your face, but you've got to win the ball back. So let's turn that process of winning the ball back, the defence, into something you enjoy just as much as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Lewis Ludlow, by the way, has been one of the standout players in these opening 10 rounds of the season. I yep. mean, he's been absolutely magnificent. He uh, was on my... Should we, we have to draw up a, a shortlist of three for... Um, Premiership yeah. Player of the Month, and he was on my yeah. he was on my shortlist. And you know, listen, when you find your team at the top of the table, there'll be a number of players who have suddenly hit a rich vein of form. Him being one of them. Um, and as you said, the you know, it's not just about scoring tries; it's about stopping them. And 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 uh, they look like they've really got the bit between the teeth. And and you know, the fact that I think the the, the statement was really when they beat Saracens down at King's Home, um, and the confidence that you could see is they've suddenly gleaned from that that. Actually, we can play and beat the very best sides in the world. Yes, they're missing a few players, admittedly, but it's still Saracens, it's still the European champions, and we've beaten them. So the confidence is oozing through the, the system there, and, uh, and it's good to see because, um, you know, they're, they're a side that everyone likes to see at the top of the table. Yeah. Another defeat for Irish. It's not getting any, any easier for them. It, it didn't get that much harder, though, because Worcester, who I actually had down as home winners in the uh, BT Sport Predictor League, which is a mugs game, by the way. As did I. Anybody who thinks that predicting the results in the Aviva Premiership is easy uh, this season, have a go at the BT Sport Predictor League. I, I thought Worcester were nailed on to beat Sale, which shows what we all know. Well, I think with, with the predicting results in the Aviva Premiership, you, out, out of six games that are played across the weekend, you've got to pick two that defy logic. And what we did was we, we, we went captain sensible and, and we, we tried to not do that. And we thought, well, we'll just go with the percentage play. Worcester are going to win. They've just beat Leicester the week before. And therefore, Sale, a bit ropey on the road. They've got to win this game. But yeah. it's just amazing how it turns out. And uh, um, it's going to, you know, people are saying, is it going to be a straight s scrap between Worcester and, and London Irish? For me, yes. But at the moment... Worcester are doing that little bit more. You know, they're winning games, whereas Irish are coming agonisingly close, as they were against Wasps, as they were against Bath recently, and they're picking up losing bonus points. And, you know, you've got to match your opponent's stride for stride. And at the moment, Worcester uh, are just that little bit better. We had one 
last autumn test, the, the, the game that caused one or two selection problems because Premiership players weren't allowed to play in them unless they were called to Lupe Falatao, and <laughs> that decision might uh, cost Bath uh, a couple of thousand quid. Wales against South Africa. W Wales winning by a couple of points. I don't know how much of this you managed to Yeah, no, to I catch. did watch it. I mean, I'm, I'm always a bit miffed as to why Wales need a fourth international. Money? Is it because they, they make as much money out of four as maybe England and Scotland do out of three or Ireland. I don't know what it is, but it's, a, it's almost sort of after the Lord Mayor show, really. Like international rugby's over for everyone, but yet they've got one more game. Wales's autumn did not go according to plan. Ireland probably had the best autumn international series, closely followed by England, I would what, say. Better than Scotland? Yeah, I, I think so, in terms of the results. I mean, Scotland won a game against Australia and won a, you know, uh, and Samoa and won a worthy game. and Nearly drew against nearly the Nearly Ireland won three out of three, England won three out of three, Scotland won two out of three. So I think, you know, by that standard, I'd put, I'd put it as Ireland, England, Scotland. I think Scotland had a better autumn than England. I think Scotland were more promising uh, than England. I think England, England weren't tested, really. That's the, that's the problem. I got that look on your face then, which referees used to get well, when you got up from the back of a scrum and you weren't entirely happy with the decision. The qu that, quiz that, that lull quizzical Scot look. Scotland, Scotland made the more significant improvement in terms of where they were before. Okay, I'll give you that. Because I thought the, the, the game against New Zealand was magnificent. And, and, you know, if a Stuart Hogg pass had gone, we'd be waxing lyrical about Scotland now and saying how well they played. So, and, the, and the result, by the way, against the Wallabies was probably, out of all of them, the one game that stood out amongst all of them. That was the standout result. But Wales, up until that South Africa game, had had a poor autumn international series. They, I mean, woeful game against Georgia. Um, you know, I mean, I don't often struggle to watch a game of rugby, but I really struggle to watch that. Um, you know, lost again for the ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth time against Australia. I can't remember what it is, but they lost again. And uh, the second half against, well, the, the, the match against New Zealand actually was 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 a really entertaining game to watch, um, but they still lost it. So for them, it was absolutely crucial that they got something out of this South African game. So I think it was more important for Wales than anyone else. I'm always a little bit sceptical about the Autumn International Series for any team, even when I played, because you're, you should be at your best. You know, it's the start of the season in the Northern Hemisphere. We're kind of a couple of months in, and those guys are hanging on by their, their fingernails at the end of the season. So, you know, it's worrying that South Africa are so poor at the moment. Um, but it's good news for Wales and Warren Gatlin that they've got to win. Um, let's really quickly touch on England with reference to the WRU, because it was interesting to see Stephen Brown, who's the new RFU chief executive a mile or so up the road at Twickenham talking this week about their long-term plan to replace Eddie Jones who will go after the World Cup in 2019 and he said while we're not as far down the road as the WRU say they are while they don't have a short list of three in their mind they're not far behind mm. which I which I thought was was interesting. There is a there's a progression plan in there. What have, uh, have you heard anything? No, I haven't. But I, I guess one of the big accusations, rightly, that's been levelled at England over the years in rugby, particularly, is succession planning. Um, you know, it's been very, very poor. The post Clive Woodward era had no real kind of um, strategy around who to appoint. Um, you know, we went from Andy Robinson, Brian Ashton, Martin Johnson, Stuart Lancaster. There, there didn't seem to be a process or a, a methodology that was followed. It can often be uncomfortable to talk about who's going to replace um, someone as coach um, in, the, in the very public domain. But in this case, it's not uncomfortable because Eddie Jones has very clearly he stated, set the agenda. I'm yeah. off. I've set yeah. the agenda. Yeah. Win or lose the Rugby World Cup in Japan, that will be my last game for England. Doesn't mean he won't take another job somewhere else but he won't be with England. And when I interviewed him, and you've interviewed him a couple of times, he outstayed his welcome in, in uh, Australia. He stayed too long. He stayed there for six years. It cost him his job. Um, so I think he's learned that lesson, not to do that again. Yeah. So he's going. And I think England and Steve Brown are very, very, you know, very comfortable uh, discussing that. What they haven't done is put forward any names. Right, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> so uh, can we work on the assumption that as... That is well as Paul Gustard and Steve Borthwick and Neil Hatley are doing, you might think that they would have to go out and get a DOR's job back in the Premiership before they came back in to take charge of a test team. Well, I think England would be... I'd be very surprised if they gave the job to put someone who hasn't done it before. In other words, um, they've, they've 
been down that road three or four times yeah. and it's backfired on them. What they did with Eddie Jones is find someone who has got pedigree at the, at the very highest level. He coached the Rugby World Cup team in Australia in 03, narrowly losing to England. He was assistant coach in South Africa and then he went on to Japan and masterminded the biggest upset in sporting history. Yeah. So that was no, you know, no surprise that you know, when, it, when he introduced himself as England coach, he's, he's actually won every game bar one. So I don't think they're going to go back to someone who's never done the job before. So if we assume that, um, in terms of one at the highest level, um, I think that they, their candidates will include, you know, not super coaches, but coaches who have already coached international rugby. Oh, really? I think so, yeah. So that rules out Rob Baxter? No, no, it doesn't. No, I'm not saying that's the only candidates, but I think it will. They well, will. No, hang on. We're, we're, we're coming up with three names. We can't have a short list of 30. No, we can have three. I mean, Rob Baxter will very much be in that short list. Okay. He, um, and I've, I've felt that. I felt that he should have been included um, a little bit more in, in England's plans um, alongside Eddie Jones, but that was kind of, you know, pushed to one side or given the firm handoff by a lot of other people who thought that, you know, why would you, why would you not continue to coach um, rather than be an assistant coach? And, you know, there's, there's very good merit in that. Um, but I still think there's a number of other international coaches that would be interested in the job, like Joe Schmidt, if he's not committed to Ireland, like, yeah. you know. The, number, the, the, the usual suspects that, that keep get banded around. I think there's a. I think what it's what's clear with the appointment of Eddie Jones is that it doesn't have to be an English coach. No. What about a Welshman? What about Di Young? Yeah, absolutely. There's no reason why he uh, couldn't be considered. Uh, he's not Mark putting, McCall. What about an Irishman? Mark McCall. Yeah, he's not put himself forward for uh, um, for the Welsh job. So uh, I mean, we can only assume that he is on that shortlist of three. The WIU haven't told us who's on yeah. the list, but it would be an odd list given the chat if. David Young's name wasn't on that. Yeah, shortlist. it is. Although, although um, he may, he's maybe at a point in his career where he's made it clear that he doesn't want to be on that list. You know, who knows? Um, but yeah, I, I think England's list, will, long list, because they're not as far down the road as Wales, so they're not down to three yet. I think their long list will be about six, and I think three of those six will be either current international coaches, and the other three will probably consist of coaches who are playing and plying their trade in England. And I would say that. Those three names you've mentioned are very much top and front, front of mind. Rob Baxter, um, Mark McCourt, not just because they operate, they, they, they occupy the, the, the teams at the very top of the table, but uh, that tends to be the way it goes. You don't tend to look at teams down the bottom of the table. OK. Um, I, I'm, I'm tempted not to ask you this question because you'll give me one of those lol frowns again. But if we were to put this podcast in a, in a tin and bury it for um, two years and then dig it up, could you give me a name now? Who do you think it well, will Well, I'd be? like to see Rob Baxter coaching. Would you? Yeah, would you? Okay. Absolutely. 100%. I would have been, if he'd have been given the job a year ago, I'd have been happy with that. Or two years ago. Yeah. Definitely. Because yeah. uh, I, I'd seen and heard enough of, of what he says um, that I liked. Not, not, that, not that what I like matters, but, you know, do you know what I mean? It's, the, the players speak very highly, and he's already shown um, how he's able to build a team. But he would probably argue, and I think I would argue in his favour that it would have been too soon to give him that job because he's really enjoying what he's doing at the moment and uh, he's, he's you know got a couple of trophies in the cabinet and hopefully he wants to add to that before he eventually takes you know the, the title of, 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 of looking elsewhere. Brilliant. Shall we talk about uh, Europe? Pool one, let's just do this simply. We're going to go from one to six and we're going to rattle through this because yep. um, we've been droning on for far too long about other stuff. Um, Big games live on BT Sport this weekend, of course. So, um, so much to um, to have a chat about. Um, La Rochelle against Wasps. What do we what do, what do we make of that? Well, one? La Rochelle are the form team. Um, they are a revelation in last year and again this year. They've looked fairly awesome in two matches. So, uh, Wasps go into this kind of double header rounds three and four, this is when your European challenge uh, is either alive or will be derailed over these next two weeks. Not necessarily in the first game, but certainly by the end of the second game, you'll know exactly where you stand. Um, La Rochelle are absolute firm favourites to win at, at home. They're, they're, it's a bit of a fortress there, although Gloucester managed to find the, uh, the key to unlock the door last season. Um, but the good news for Wasp fans is that they go into this game probably playing their best rugby of the season so far. So really looking forward to that. I would expect 
was to put up a fight, La Rochelle to win that game, and then was to, uh, to, to repeat the favour the, the following week. Uh, and the other game in that, uh, in that pool, in pool one, both games on uh, Sunday, by the way, uh, is uh, one of our games, BT Sport 2, Quinns against Ulster at half past 12, um, Sunday lunchtime. Um, if Ulster can start to pick up away wins that they, they, they might sneak through, but yeah, you big, feel they're going to have to win on Sunday. Well, it's a big if, isn't it, Nick? Because they look, um, they look very strong at home, but they look very beatable away from home. And, um, you know, Quinn's... It, it's interesting to see how they'll, they'll react after that wonderful performance against the European champions. They've just come off the back of beating Saracens, and, you know, can they back it up? And that will be the message from John Kingston and James Horwell. But in Europe, played two, lost two. Yeah, so they've got, they've got no second chances. Yeah, and, and there's no second chances. Um, so they've just got to go out there and, and, and put their strongest possible side out and see what happens. You know, don't forget Wasp managed to qualify after losing their first two games a couple of years ago. So they'll take heart from that and think if we can start, then uh, start as we mean to go on. Once we're done with uh, Quinn's Ulster, on Sunday lunchtime, uh, Sunday afternoon, mid-afternoon, Saracens against Claremont. Are you are you doing this one? Where are you? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm uh, I'm I'm back in the studio, uh, keeping uh, keeping keeping warm, warm eating biscuits. BT Sport two, three o'clock. Uh, a repeat of last year's final. Obviously, yeah, it is a repeat of last year's final. But it's it, both sides go into this titanic, gargantuan contest slightly uh, you know in slightly foreign territory Saracens are as you say on the back of five consecutive defeats and Claremont for all their you know their sort of annual sort of celebrations of European rugby they I think they're lying about seventh or eighth in their own domestic competition so they're not in great shape so it's going to be really really interesting and we said we'd expect a reaction from Saracens last weekend I think at home at Alliance Park um, you know, they need to get back to winning ways, so I can see them winning that one. And um, Ospreys and, and, and Saints, I guess with their own domestic issues, we'll, we'll see Champions Cup as a, as a bit of a distraction, but the reality is that well, they're think, kind of leaving it to the I other two. I think what they'll see is a chance to be out of the limelight, and I yeah. think both sets of coaches and both sets of players will probably enjoy being out of the limelight, given their current woes. I'm not sure what, uh, what your plans are for Sunday, but uh, essentially we've got you fixed from Sunday lunchtime through the Sunday evening uh, because at 5.15, BT Sport 2, we've got Exeter Leinster in, uh, in Pool 3. Following week, Exeter going to, to Dublin, of course. It, so many potential games of the weekend, yeah. but, but this is one of them as well. Well, it, it, this one is the one that stands out for me because of the quality of both sides, the pedigree, the, the, the form, if you like, of both sides. Exeter just flying high at the moment, particularly at Sandy Park. And I expect them to be favourites. I think they've got that confidence that they can now actually do something in Europe. They've always flattered to deceive. Their focus has always been on the Premiership, Exeter. But now I think they believe that they can do something. They've set themselves up with the opening two games. Um, and the big question will be, can Leinster get anything out of this fixture, even a losing bonus? Yeah, point? and that might be critical, actually, because they, they both play 2-1-2 two, two so far, but, but Leinster have picked up bonus points, so they're two points ahead of the Chiefs at the moment in the table. Yeah, and Exeter will be very mindful of that. They'll be targeting a win, um, and they'll be trying to ensure that Leinster don't get anything from that game. So, uh, you know, really, really excited about that. And the lovely thing about these fixtures is you've only got to wait one more week to see it all over again. Yep. Um... Off to Limerick, myself, on, uh, on Saturday for, for Munster against Leicester. I love Toman Park. Uh, I love the old Toman Park, the old wooden place where you've got mm. splinters in your bum. But they've, they've, they've built this new steel stadium, and it still hums. It, it still vibrates with emotion, isn't it? There are, there are no, no, no better places to watch club rugby in Europe than Toman Park in my mind. It's wonderful. It's, it's a cathedral. It is, it's just a wonderful place. You know, the, the passion that, that, that the whole of... Munster has for their for their team for their community for for the game of rugby is wonderful and this is a repeat of of a fixture last year and and Leicester will uh, will be having nightmares about this they were thirty eight zip I think they uh, it's hard not to score a point in rugby um, and uh, you know Leicester managed it comfortably against Munster Munster playing of course with the um, the emotion behind the tragic passing of Anthony Foley which they don't have now necessarily they've got to find their, 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 the same levels of emotion to deal with that fixture. Um, so really looking forward to that. As I said, I'm joining you there and uh, should be an exciting game. A uh, few injury concerns for both sides. But, um, 
you know, Munster will, will see this and target this as a game that they have to win. Well, let's have a have a, a listen to uh, Peter O'Mahony. He's uh, had a word with um, with Craig this week. Craig's going to be um, part of the team at Toman Park on Saturday, uh, and this is what the Munster skipper uh, has had to say to him this week. Well, Pete, I guess it feels a bit like Christmas around here. The week building up to the back-to-back European Games in December, a real celebration down in Munster when a big team like Leicester Tigers comes over. Are you excited? Yeah. You know, European Cup is it's the games you want to be involved in here and, and it's no different. It's, as you said, it's even more special, actually, when these little mini-competition within the pool comes, you know, the back-to-back games and... Um, you know, a team like Leicester, their history and their quality. You know, it's it's always a, a cracker between us, and you know, you'd be expecting the same at the weekend. What's it like out in the streets around around Munster and Limerick and Cork? And I like what's the buzz about this fixture? I, I think I think they love being in, you know, going to the European Games and uh, and you know the atmosphere obviously in Tone Park this weekend. It's always special, and you know, there's always a big build up to it during the week, especially obviously in Limerick. Um, but uh, you know, even when you when I'm back home in, in Cork, Wednesday evening, Thursday, you know, you're around town, you know, you'd be getting fellas fired up over it and giving their opinions and all sorts, and you know straight away it's it's European Cup week around the place. When they came and beat you here though in 2015, first time you were beaten in your own patch in Europe in a decade, was it? So yeah. How how much did that hurt, and how much was? last season's win over them, an absolute thrashing of them, a reaction to that? I think rugby's got away from looking back. I know it's, you know, you want to win all the time at home. You want to win every game. Every team that goes out wants to win every game, but, you know, you, your ones at home are, are, are certainly special, especially with us in Europe. You know, we've, we've a good record there and we try and protect it, but, you know, it's, it's a different game every week and it's a different opposition and, you know, this is the one team that have come and won twice in Town Park, so... You know, as I said, that they're not going to be—they're not going to be worried about it. They've—they've they've been there and done it, most of them. So, um, you know, we'll—we'll we'll have to get the video worked on early. But we've—we've got, we've got to get ourselves up for a, a massive game. We've got to be as good as we can be, you know, uh, to, to be the team of that quality. A lot of people talk about O2, and they talk about Neil back and that stray hand around the side of that scrum with a bit of naughtiness, and uh, they dwell on that. The fans certainly dwell on that. Um, do you remember that game? Yeah, it broke our hearts, didn't he? But like, if you were on his, if if he was on your team, you'd be clattering him across the head, delighted with him. So, you know, there's two sides to every story. What's the dressing room like before the European game? What's it going to be like in Thelma Park Saturday night, just before you run out in that pitch? Yeah, look, it's it's a great place to be. There's a huge amount of energy. Guys are are bouncing, ready to go. Um, you know, European rugby back at home. That's the reason. The reason you play the game, you know, is to play in, in you know, the highest quality, highest standard games, highest, highest quality of opposition. Um, you know, back in Thomond Park, guys will be raring for road. And just finally, you know, we talk about the Heineken Cups. It's a Champions Cup now. You know, no matter what it's called, how the competition has changed, no matter what number you're putting in your remote control, there's something about Munster against Leicester Tigers that just gets the all blood pumping. What is it? I think it starts off obviously with the respect that we have for each other. Um, as I, I spoke about the the history, that obviously that we both have with the competition, but you know it would be very similar. To, I would imagine over there now this week they'd be you know they'd be pepping their step and back into Europe. It's obviously very important to them. And you know when when two teams have have that kind of history and determination to to win a competition like this, you know it's it's always a good recipe for for a big game and some big performances and you know, that's obviously why, why people watch. A bit of speculation about where, where Peter O'Mahony might be playing his rugby next season, lol. Um, we're not sure whether he's, he's kind of holding out for a better contract from the IRFU or whether genuinely two years out from a World Cup you are thinking about moving abroad. I would say that um, you know Peter Manny will be staying in Ireland for the foreseeable future. It'd be crazy to leave, you know, mid mid World Cup um, sort of cycle. Um, but in saying that, um, you know, you get your head turned when you get offered a lot of money by other clubs, and I think he probably wants um, the IU to split the difference between what they're offering him now 
and what a couple of other clubs might be offering him in the future. And if they do that, then, you know, he is the glue that holds the whole of Munster together. He's been absolutely outstanding for the last 12 months for for Munster, for the for Ireland and for the Lions, let's not forget. So uh, he'll be uh, right in the thick of the action uh, come uh, come Sunday. Tight pull that, actually. Um, Leicester, Munster, Rassing and Cast, all within striking distance. Um, Leicester and Munster with six points. Rassing and uh, Cast, not far behind. Rassing have got five. Cast have... Cast have got three. They're, they're four teams who can still bruise each other. There's a long way to go in this There one. is a long way to go. Very, very close. And I think that's probably why rounds three and four are so crucial, because someone can actually take ownership of the group. Um, it's still very much all to play for. Um, and in many ways, that means that the, you know, the way that these first games play out uh, might have a, a long way towards the selections and the way that those sides approach the next one. So uh, really, really crucial games. But as you say, all to play for across the board. Um, two games in Pool 5 on Saturday. Uh, the big one, I guess, from our point of view is Bath um, with that away trip to Toulon. Scarlets against Benetton uh, is the other game at um, Parker Scarlets. Both games on the Saturday. Um, yeah, Bath, Bath with a little bit to do to get something from Toulon, but if they can, with the state of the pool as it is at the moment, both of those sides locked on eight points. Yeah, but I mean, these are the two sides that stand out. I mean, I felt, along with a few others, that Scarlets might be um, challenging a bit better. They sort of disappointed, really, in Europe. I was expecting a stronger challenge from them. Um, maybe they're saving their best rugby for the domestic competition, but certainly Bath and Toulon um, certainly got history with this competition, haven't they? And, and uh, I mean, for Bath, it's all about getting something in that away fixture. I don't think they're quite at the strength where they can necessarily go out there and uh, and be firm favourites to win the game. Um, but if they can take something away and te- and keep the keep the group alive, so that they come back to um, you know to the wreck, uh, because as we know, Toulon for all their strength, for all their power, for all their history, they're poor on the road. Um, so Bath will fancy their chances of getting something. And Scarlets, having having done so well domestically in recent times in um, in the Pro 14. It's it's just finding it hard to transfer from one to the other at the moment. You you either have to concentrate on A or B, it seems, right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's squad strength, squad depth. You know, the Welsh regions, for whatever reason, have, have struggled to compete both domestically and in Europe at the same time. Um, you know, that none of the none of the Welsh sort of super regions have, have managed to to make their statement in Europe. And, and you just get the sense with Scarlets that the quality is there. They were unbelievable last season, but they're making one or two quite astute signings. So they're building for the future. And it won't be long before the Scarlets are able to sort of compete with the, some of the kind of superpowers of European rugby. But I'm afraid for Scarlets fans, I don't think that's going to be this season. We've got a busy weekend. So where, where are you? What, what are your travels? I'm, uh, I'm in Munster on, yep. uh, on Saturday. Yep. Uh, and then... I'm with uh, Craig and Brian. Uh, oh, in the studio. In the yeah, studio. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah, we're yeah, right yeah. across the three games that are taking place on Sunday, and then we are delivering the highlight show uh, at the very end of that. So, uh, a huge amount of European rugby to get through. Oh, and we've got a BT fun bus going from Limerick to Dublin. Are you on that? I'm on the fun bus. I right. Be, uh, You're in charge of Jammy Dodgers. <laughs> I'm in charge of Jammy Dodgers. Excellent. And, uh, and refreshments. Good weekends, these, aren't they? They are. They're For great. fans and. I mean. There, there was a there was a little bit of there was a notch of excitement when when I used to play, uh, which was a long time ago. You used to walk into training and you knew it was a European weekend because there was a real big spring in your step. You also had to check where your passport was as well, just in case. Um, and it's the same. Well, you know, I came across mine today. I didn't realise it was where I found it. I'd have been going right old panic on Friday. It's the, night, same, it's the same for BT Sport. You know, there's a little bit of a spring in the step. Not that we don't love and adore the Aviva Premiership, nope. we do. Nope. But. Uh, you know, this is uh, this is international rugby in a club jersey. I think we're nearly done, Chairman, aren't we? In the boardroom here, a- a- AOB. Uh, any other business, <laughs> or is it time to? Uh, uh, you don't know the pubs in this area very well, so I might have to show you one or two well, myself. There's but... the Sun Inn, the Triple Crown. Yeah, there's uh, there's okay. one or two that could lead us astray. We've got one or two more things to talk about, but I think that's it um, in terms of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We are back next week, of course, uh, Benny. And Drico are in the studio. Ellis Genge, who's got a bit of time on his hands now, poor lad, uh, is joining them. So that'll be interesting. Uh, and if you want to watch all the games, the highlights of uh, this weekend, then make sure that you tune into our Champions Cup highlight show, half past seven on BT Sport 2 this Sunday. You Actually, you do that. So that's actually a 
double shift for you on Sunday, isn't it? It is. It's uh, biscuits, but you do work hard. We might, we, we might have breakfast, lunch and dinner in the right. studio. Size of a house. Lord Delalio of London Town needing an extra large coach to get him back to his castle. Uh, remember, subscribe to this pod um, so it's delivered straight to your device every Thursday. And uh, if you have enjoyed listening today, then uh, if you can, give us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. Thanks, Lowell. Say goodbye. Bye for now. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.